Hello, and welcome to Unspinning, the podcast where we pull at the threads of our favorite folklore characters. And as we move deeper into the Christmas season, what better character to talk about than the elf? Except in today's episode, we don't just talk about Santa's little helpers. Here, Chris and I talk about the origins of the elf, the many seemingly contradictory things that these creatures have been known for, and even the value that folk characters like these have We hope that you enjoy Hello everybody, my name is Brendan and Alexi. I'm Chris. And I'm here Alexi. Uh, Brendan and I are coming to you from Trinidad today. And it is Diwali here, so check Diwali to everyone who's listening to this from the future. And welcome to Unspinning, where the three of us talk about all of the cool little meetings that we enjoy growing up and some of the cultural differences that we have experienced. Or weren't too loud for y'all either. Um, today we're talking about elves, uh, mostly because Christmas is coming up, and I'm, I'm a huge Christmas nut. Yeah, no, really. <laughs> like the first thing I, that I, we... I live with him. I promise you, you don't. It's it's you don't understand. No, like it's so bad. When we first started, when Kay and I first started dating, and I was I was mostly living um, with her um, and her mom. We didn't have a Christmas tree where we were, so we literally drew one on like folder pages and stuck it to the wall. Aww. Listen, we weren't that ghetto. We printed it. <laughs> <laughs> we printed one. And to be yeah, we, fair, to be fair, I printed Christmas trees while I was living in dorms while I was at school anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so we can have a Christmas tree now though, because the cats will like grab it and run around the apartment with it. Um but he says that because that happened. <laughs> we um, tried but, to get a Christmas tree, but yeah. But in this month's episode, we are talking about elves. Um the most people most people have Either one or two perspectives about elves, I think. Either you only know elves because you're big on Christmas or you only know elves because you're big on um, high fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully we have an opportunity to talk about that. When you think about elves, um, Chris, what's the first thing that crosses your mind? Christmas or something else? I think it, it was Christmas um, when you like emailed and were like, hey, let's do elves. I was like, okay, cool. Sure, that makes sense for Christmas. But then when I was thinking about it... Um, I think I also think of elves as like the Keebler elves who make cookies. Um, And I also think of probably like the kind of Harry Potter, like more goblin-esque style elf. Oh, you know, I actually totally forgot about um, those kinds of elves. I totally forgot about poor Dobby. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, I did too, but we have have, like two pastries ones for not... That is yeah, what to think about that. So I'm I, okay with yeah, it. I was I had like a note in my notebook that I was like, if it comes up, just be like, can't talk about it. Makes me too sad. <laughs> actually, this is actually a good place to like mention that joke. I don't know if you've ever heard of it before, Chris. That people are saying that we actually don't know who wrote the Harry Potter series. No, what are you that talking about? Listen to me. It is very clear the origin of the Harry Potter series. 
and I don't know why people are being weird about it. Nobody knows the actual origin, but Harry Potter is just this like big collective fan fiction that people <laughs> wrote over the years, and it doesn't actually belong to a singular writer. You know, there's just it's just people just wrote it. And there are a lot of theories as to what the original piece of fiction was. But but now it's its own thing, you know, kinda like kinda like how the Omegaverse is a thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh god. The Omegaverse is its own kind of story. Like yeah, that's which is not which is which we're not talking about today. So elves. <laughs> elves. When you think about elves, um, I'm guessing you don't immediately think about Christmas care. Um, I don't, you're correct. So I grew up, and to be fair, I will admit that I I don't know if this is like a Trinidadian perspective, but it is certainly a care grew up on weird fantasy perspective, <laughs> because I grew up on the Forgotten Realms novels, and elves, that was like my first point of contact for the elf. So... <laughs> When I think of elves now, there are kind of two distinct groups. There's the like Christmas slash shoemaker elf. Mm-hmm. And then there's the high fantasy slash forgotten realms slash Lord of the Rings elf. Um, because I know that a lot of people kind of uh, like Tolkien is the is the source of elves as we know them in fantasy. Uh, but even then, I, I don't. Okay, so unpopular opinion. Oh, yeah. Um. <laughs> Please. Like, episode two, we're going in. Like, let's, <laughs> let's do it. This let's is the episode where people it. figure out whether they hate us or they love us. Yeah, I mean, when people make up their minds from very early on. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, I did read when I was much younger. I read The Hobbit, and mm. I read Lord of the Rings. And I tried to read other things, but I was like, like this shit's... Yeah, like the Silmarillion. Specifically, actually, the Silmarillion. Thank you for, for remembering. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was just like, man, this shit is boring. Like, it took me forever to get through Lord of the Rings. And The Hobbit wasn't so bad, I guess. But it took me forever to get through the, the Lord of the Rings books themselves because, like, 80% of the books are just walking. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> And, and it's cool, like it's it's yeah, yeah, it's it's, blah. <laughs> but I remember like fourteen year old asshole care, because I, I might have even been young. Now nah, I was in secondary school, so I had to be at least eleven years old. Um, but I remember talking about that in literature class, and my my literature teacher she brought up Lord of the Rings because she knew that I read a lot, and I like stooped. Yikes! <laughs> I was like. <laughs> and she went why don't you like them and I'm like they're boring I can write better than that <laughs> I was 11 so I was a, I, I, I was not <laughs> no <laughs> I, I was a different kind of because I did also try when in, I also tried in high school to read um, Tolkien's work but I was a different kind of like book asshole I guess at that age <laughs> and I was like for me there are just with my experience with the books that I had really enjoyed growing up was that I guess I just kind of put it in my head that there were people who wanted to do interesting things with the with the same folklore and the same mythological creatures that we um, make assumptions about. People mm-hmm. were interested in like exploring and digging deeper. So for me, just like reading something so old was just like, 
why would I do that when there are cleverer things that I could possibly find by accident? Yeah. Which I think is a horrible reason to not read a book because I think that a lot of people really enjoy, enjoy Tolkien's work and I'm sure that it's fantastic if I ever sit down to read it. Sure, sure. But like, I think that that's, um, that's a big part of why I think I didn't enjoy the books though. Similarly, because by the time I had The Hobbit, and, and despite the fact that these books are much older than the Forgotten Realms novels that I read, but by the time I was given The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings books to read, I had already read Evermeet. Like, yeah. I had, I was, and I know this sounds really crazy for an 11-year-old, but when my <laughs> peers were, like, reading, is still reading, they're, like, West Indian readers when we were, like, four and five years old, my, I was reading stuff that teenagers would read because I had been reading for so long. So by the time I was 11, I, I had read Evermeet Island of Elves because I think it came out earlier the year that I turned 11, in fact. Um, I was actually just, um, I'm working on a, an essay right now that's about like my relationship with detective fiction, but I had a very yes. experience with like mystery novels where like I very, very quickly and at a young age outgrew the like Nancy Drew, Hardy Boys. Yeah, exactly. Very pedestrian. And so I tried to graduate to like my dad's hardcover like thrillers but you know I was like eight so I just didn't <laughs> you know I just like didn't get it um they were a little a little much for me um but yeah that is interesting it's it's I do think that this is kind of more like not like necessarily like a fantasy or folklore comment but just kind of in general it's really interesting to me to like learn how people read as kids and like there's I feel like there's a lot of gaps especially in kind of like I think it's getting better but like in that kind of middle grade um yes yeah where they yeah. still give you like uh like primary level reading material and like you'll get there eventually yeah well and actually like sort of similarly when I when I was um oh wow that was a big one (laughs) you need to do do Um, is mute yourself when you're not talking which is what I'm doing I will do my best when I was um I took a gap year in between college and high school and I lived in France for a year and I went to a high school while I was there even though the grades didn't count and because I was learning the language while I was there, my my host family was giving me a lot of like children's books to read, like children's chapter books. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, it totally makes sense in theory. But I know that like similar things are done when teaching languages to like adult learners. And I do feel like there has to be some kind of middle ground there where um, this is like way off topic and I'll change the subject in a second. But um, there was there was like a movement a couple years ago about how the majority of North Americans read it at an eighth grade level. And so there were a number of authors who released like well-known authors who released books in their series that were written at an eighth grade level, like Louise Penny, who does like the Canadian inspector. Gamache oh yeah. 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 Um, really. So I just, I just think it's interesting to kind of think about like how we present language and what encourages people to read because like, obviously Kira, like you as a, young person were like I know what I want to read like give me this material so you were searching for it everywhere and you know what happens to the kids who don't have that inquisitiveness like there has to be there has to be some kind of like more material reading wise I don't even know I mean I just like I can say and I know that and I know that we are definitely taking a tangent here but I I feel like it is somewhat related so in the same way that 
in the same way that we've seen elves as well as like the werewolf and vampires and everything else evolve in literature over time i think a big part of that is also how writing has evolved and what has become exciting to read and Mm -hmm. what we believe is what we feel is exciting to read and if you look at books that are written today compared to books that are written back with when when Tolkien was writing, those are two incredibly different uh, prominent sets of styles, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's the reason that I, as a child, I was already reading what was modern fiction. And when I had to pick up or try to pick up something like Lord of the Rings or the Silmarillion, I was just kind of like, Ugh, this is so boring compared to what I read now. And I think that that may have something to do with why so many people don't graduate past or try to graduate past that eighth grade level in terms of their reading. Because I have seen personally where folks, they say, they look at that older writing that is geared towards a different audience and that is the stuff that many people recommend because those are the classics. Those are the big, you know, awesome books. And they don't like it for the same reason that I had problems with things like Lord of the Rings and Silmarillion. But if you gave them a more modern novel, even if the plot is the same or similar, they'll enjoy that so much more and they'll get into it. And I think that there's also a place here to talk about graphic novels and sort of the intense and incredible experience that graphic novels can provide for gateway readers. I mean, there are other examples of, and this is also like an interesting thing, is that it's not that there aren't examples of um, literature that young people could hopefully have access to um, as a kind of gateway from like one grade or one phase of reading to another. It's just that very often they're not... Um, accessible like they're not in schools they're not in right right I'm sorry that is something you're right that is something that I fail to make clear is that when we talk about these are the books that we'll give to to kids to start to break away from that quote eighth grade level unquote it it, they aren't usually they aren't usually modern texts they are often what we consider to be those classics and so that's where people because when you have to read for literature in school when you're in high school or in our case secondary school they're not giving you snow crash they're they're giving you um the pearl or some like Romeo and Juliet right like you know what we like imagine if we were like if like in secondary school and high school kids were reading stuff like um Owen Colfer's Artemis Fowl series. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, we have a ton of readers. <laughs> and, and and that's actually, I think that's also what makes, has always made uh, folklore, or just kind of approaches to literature like this so interesting to me, is that they have been uh, the way that, in a way I kind of identify um, who's reading because they want to get an A in literature <laughs> or who's reading. Oh man, for real. They genuinely care about because it, um, it brings up so many like interesting questions that you, that no one's asking around you and no one's prepared or has the tools to answer, which is both frustrating and makes the questions that much cooler. Yeah. 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 So like the and especially and I do think that it's kind of connected to like the whole idea of the elf because we have even depending on whether or not you're like um 
on the Christmas elf side of the category or the the high fantasy elf, there's still so much about the elf as a as a creature that we just like most folks just don't know. So like the the elf has transformed a lot even even before like Tolkien started writing, there was a totally different kind of um, general perspective about the elf. The elf um, in, um, I guess, in early uh, Christian text was mostly associated with like illness and and like dark magic. And I think only only now it's transformed not just into uh, a much more like favorable creature but one that we associate um with high class and um deep culture whereas before our imagination of the elf was just well if you see one you're probably going to die <laughs> yeah? yeah and that even those things we do have really a, like a connection to an understanding of like why that was an expectation i well actually chris you might you might have something better to add to this but i do have a I do feel like the reason that was our expectation of the elf is that it was just um just a different thing. No, that it well, well yes, that it was a different thing. But remember, um, oh how can I how can I say this in coherent words? Um, so we've got like like Krampus, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the 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 elder Krampus mythology is actually not like a jolly fellow at all. Yeah. Right. Uh, it, and his elf elven helpers would two can were also cannibals um, <laughs> or people eaters. Well, and it isn't Krampus. Right? He's like half demon, half goat. Yeah. Yeah. He's not, he's, but, but it's for me, it's that kind of, you know, when you, you take, it's it's how you get from like the grim fairy tales to the Hans Anderson fairy tales, right? right, right. So right. you you have this like grim dark kind of deep, um, scary nightmarish fairy tale, and then someone justifies it. Yeah, and and you end up with these happy little cherub elves that help Santa Claus give presents to good kids, and I feel like that is what happened to all of the versions of elves before that were that kind of similar you know, awful, ugly, kind of, de- you know, demon-like, I'm going to eat your face, elf. <laughs> um, it's possible, but I mean, even, even, especially with the, specifically with the elf, that kind of transformation in how culturally we kind of perceive the elf only really happened in like the uh, early 20th century. Or like even, not even necessarily that early. Like when did... And I'm sure that Chris would love to talk about a Midsummer Night's Dream. <laughs> um, but like that's like one of the first iterations of the elf as like not evil. Kind of. <laughs> well, so it depends. So you know, so I'll just kind of and I think this is like the general caveat for this podcast in general, but like I, you know, did all my research this week and I'm by no means an elf expert. So this is like my interpretation of, of the stuff that I read. Oh yeah, that's a that's a good point. Um, disclaimer to everybody listening. We are not experts 
and we're pulling a lot of this shit just out of our asses so <laughs> we are exploring we're yeah exploring. yeah we're exploring, yeah so i mean i think chris is probably the the most well-researched and well-informed but you know take everything that the three of us say with salt lots of it <laughs> um so in what i was looking at it, it seems to me like um a lot of elf mythology and folklore comes from um Norse mythology as well as Irish mythology so you have those two kind of splits there um and this is pre-Shakespeare um and what was interesting you know thinking about language is that a lot of the language around and a lot of the translations around elves are relatively um they're very similar to fairies. So I saw a lot of, in what yeah. I was reading, a lot of similar, I mean, even just in, you know, sometimes thing, um, they're, they're called fairy rings, sometimes they're called elven rings. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've heard that, those as well, and fairy mounds too. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, and like, even just in sort of the idea of, you know, elves dancing like in a circle, and that's kind of like why you would get like, grass in a circle that's been like matted um and if you disturb that you're gonna it's not good for you um (laughs) lack of a better i'm very articulate tonight um (laughs) but anyway so all that to say so i was really interested in sort of the the similarities between the two because when i was really thinking about like my associations of elves i do think of them in primarily in like what i would call like the small beast category right so like the fairies dwarves gnomes elves. um is that like the the little folk kind of thing like all the little people yeah right and that kind of goes hand in hand with um you know i definitely knew stories growing up of like the the cobbler elves that helped with you know making shoes and whatever and so like that kind of lends itself to the the helper and then on the other hand you have sort of on in the more north norse vein um like tall not necessarily androgynous i think that comes later in like the fantasy but very like ethereal beautiful pale blonde lure you to your death kind of elves so it's interesting to me that like both aesthetically and also in their purpose, you have these two distinctions. And what's further interesting is that specifically with, I think it was, I think it was North, Norse mythology. Um, there's always a light elf and a dark elf. Um, oh yeah. So, so on that dichotomy. And that's persisted in high fantasy now as well. Okay. Yeah. So that's actually what I was going to say, uh, Brendan, is that in, so I, as I probably mentioned last time, I kind of really, really read a lot of urban fantasy. Um, I read a lot of high fantasy too growing up, but it's interesting that you say that because I always thought that that was an Irish mythology association and I didn't know it was a Norse mythology association because in a lot of urban fantasy, you'll have the Seelie and the Unseelie which would mm-hmm. not necessarily be elves exclusively. It would talk about the fae in general. So like not just elves, but brownies and um, any other kind of, you know, uh, race or class of within those mythologies. And they'd be the light and the dark fae. And that's always been, because they've also been called the she, which 
is another Irish is an Irish word uh, to refer to to the to refer to the fae, which, like I said, includes you know fairies, brownies, elves, what have you. And usually, when you look at like the Celi and Unseelie courts in uh, urban fantasy or, or contemporary fantasies, there's um, the elves or the elven race is generally the noble race. And they often kind of oversee or rule over the others. So that's really interesting to me because I've always associated that dark and light fate type idea with the Irish mythology because they've used Irish words to describe them uh, or Irish words with Irish uh, roots. And I've never actually, I didn't, I didn't actually know that it was more of a, of a Norse based association that it was born from. Yeah, and also just to note that in a lot of, you know, the reason that I sort of mentioned the like interchanging between fairy and elf is because in a lot of the research I was doing, I would be like down the rabbit hole of reading article after article and I'd be in an article, you know, reading about something about elves and be like, oh, that's interesting, follow the link somewhere else to an article about fairies. So I do think it, it, you know, it definitely was very interchangeable. And I do know that specifically in the medieval era, um, that was when there was kind of more of a blurred line between the two. And then, you know, in like the late 1500s, you have Shakespeare and Midsummer Night's Dream, um, where you have Puck and the fairies who also are sometimes referred to as elves. Um, Right. But Puck has always been... And I don't know if this is the case with with like Shakespeare's play um, with the with a Midsummer Night's Dream, but I I do know that in many iterations or versions of that, Puck is not necessarily the same as the fairies. So right. sometimes he's also a fairy or an elf. Sometimes he's a satyr. Sometimes he's uh, another type of creature or being right. entirely. Um, but in general, he's he's just some representation of the mischief elf or the trickster god, right? Yeah, yes. And actually, that brings up a good point of the sort of like mischievous because that's the third, I would say like the third category of elf that I read about. So you have the helpers, you have the ethereal like kind of ruling above or alongside in these like other realms. And then you have the like mischievous elf, like the the trickster. And I think that kind of goes back to what you were saying, Brendan, about the like harbingers of illness and death. And, and, and I mean, granted, that's not necessarily like a fun, mischievous trick, but it is kind of more in <laughs> yeah. that vein of. Um, it's more in that vein of, of negative. Um, yeah. Yeah. And as, the elf is a negative rep- or representation of some kind of negative thing that's, that's about to come. Um, and also just sidebar, because you were talking about it here, I, I did go down a little rabbit hole that I would love to explore in the future um, of the Scottish witch trials, which kind of building off of what we were talking about with like the werewolf trials before, et cetera, ha- where there was like a, a relatively large component of that where some of the women accused were accused of consorting with um, fairies or elves. Oh. Or having gone to see the fairy queen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I don't actually know any of the real nonfiction historical context, but I've read a lot of fiction <laughs> that uh, that carries through that idea, right? 
um, about people who consort with the Fae as, or in this case with the elves, since that's our like particular topic tonight, but who consort with them as witches or otherwise magically inclined and therefore evil mm-hmm. uh, beings. Well, and that kind of does like go back to sort of the idea of being the helper. So whether you're like the helper in a bad way, like you're helping Krampus or you're helping witches or whatever, or whether you're helping a poor cobbler make shoes or Santa make toys, it is that kind of, yeah, that kind of definition, Um, which I just, it's just, I, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm in America and America's obsessed with class, but it's very interesting to me that the, there's such, there's two, like, such distinctions between the helper and sort of like the like overrulers. Yes, 100%. Actually, that is interesting. I mean, I, I've always, so like in high fantasy, and especially like Dungeons and Dragons, the, uh, the ranking i don't know if that makes sense the the social classes of elves are like really distinct so there is a like a there's a clear title called high elf yeah and they're expected they start off with like higher intelligence mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah and, and it's, it's worth noting that those are the white elves yes they're the fairest of them all <laughs> they have the highest intelligence um they have uh they are more capable with most weaponry um they know more languages they are immune to being charmed (laughs) and then there are the wood elves which um i think they come out i mean basically they're just like um kind of dumb forest creatures (laughs) Um, who are, I mean, relatively strong and good hunters, but you don't necessarily um, reach out to them because you want a good game of chess. And then there are dark elves who literally, they just hide underground and scheme. Um, and well, they... well, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in here with my mm-hmm. um, <laughs> relatively <laughs> <laughs> with my relative compared to you guys, I guess knowledge of um of the forgotten realms (laughs) so the drow are the dark elves that you're referring to and they live in the they live in the underdark and they have their own language under common and something that i thought was really interesting is that i if i'm not mistaken um and i could be right like we said disclaimer i think that the the dark elves or the drow are also usually smaller and thinner uh, and so they they look like less you know grand and and um, and I guess robust than other elves. And for a very long time, they were they also could not stay in sunlight. So they and I think that if you if you play a dark elf or draw now in D anD D, you all, you still have a sunlight sensitivity. Yeah, they literally only change it. They're, yeah. they're literally only changing it this year. Right. But here's, <laughs> so here's so here's an interesting thing. I, <laughs> oh man, I'm going to show my nude colors here. They're going to fly. Um, so they would weaken in sunlight and they would their powers would be limited. And I actually read the trilogy by Elaine Cunningham where a drow um, carved a rune onto the child of Yggdrasil and allowed drow to maintain their magic above ground. <laughs> 
so oh. so so that was there was a whole there was actually like a, tr- a whole trilogy dedicated to the journey of Liriel, who this is one oh. of the things that she did and so now and I, I don't know how, I mean, I know that that the, you can play in the Forgotten Realms world in D&D, right? Like, it's the same um, originator. It's, I think it's Wizards. Yeah. yeah? Um, so, so, you know, they're both Wizards uh, packages. But, yeah, so, like, <laughs> upward of 10 years ago, like, 15 years, I guess, I was, I was like, a teenager <laughs> when I read this trilogy. So it's interesting that it's only now being changed or transitioned. But yeah, so 15 years ago in human time, um, Joe can now come onto the surface without having any of these these issues. Uh, but I think I, I think that the Forgotten Realms, if you if you dig into, because I know Brennan, you were talking specifically about the D and D classes, uh, but I actually didn't start playing D and D until I was already in my twenties, and by then I had like ten years of reading Forgotten Realms novels behind me, and what i always thought was a little bit fascinating about and, and and i don't know i don't know if if tolkien did any of this i do know that he would he was certainly a source of inspiration for for so many of the elven representations we know today including forgotten realms and how extensive forgotten realms like elven cultures and stuff are but what i had liked about those novels and why I voraciously read <laughs> everything that Elaine Cunningham wrote that had to do with the moon elves and the high elves, the Eldarin, the Seldarine, blah, 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 blah. That was, oh, wow, that, that was a, a loud explosion. Um, but they had, they didn't just have high elves, though they also had moon elves. And moon elves were sometimes considered to be high elves, but they were the most common race or class of elves. And there was also, um, and they had, you know, the the the, the elven races between them in the in these Forgotten Realms novels had their own dynamic of they had their own they had their own system of classism and racism between them. So everybody hated the Drow. The Moon Elves were the predominant race, mm-hmm. but they were also the race that was most open to humans. But there were also different sects of that. So the Evermeet elves, for example, who were the king and queen of the elves, you know, they weren't high elves. They were moon elves and they weren't necessarily considered by everyone to be a high elf. But the golden elves, uh, which are usually considered the high elves, weren't. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Uh, and then, like Brendan said, you also had in those... Uh, in in the Forgotten Realms, you also had like wood elves. You had aquatic elves. Um, there were, I think, winged elves. Uh, wood elves and wild elves were different, but I think wild elves was yet another class. And then you had elves that were um, there were sun elves, which I think were the golden elves and the moon elves. And then there were star elves. There it was. It it's extensive, y'all. Like it's yeah. There are lots. <laughs> <laughs> that is interesting. Um, and were the, you know, was there any sort of like correlation to the idea of sort of the nature-esque elves being? Yeah. And I thought that that was really interesting. So like the sun elves were the really, um, the sun elves were the most magical and then the moon elves were somewhere between there. Uh, and then the drool, like Brendan said, were all the way to the bottom and they had their own, like I was mentioned, like I had mentioned before, they had their own kind of social hierarchy 
So the Drow Elves, which is the dark-skinned elves, were the most looked down upon, right? They were from the Underdark. Yes, they were typically considered evil. And since I had read Evermeet when I was like 11, I know why. But um, and, and, And it has to do... And this is this is where for me the mythology got really interesting is that it, it had to do with um, with a battle or like within the actual pantheon of elves because uh-huh. the the drow the drow queen or the drow goddess Loth she was actually the um, she was the wife of their king of the pan i guess it's i don't know it's been a while okay <laughs> but the pantheon's king corellan yes corellan uh they were together and she was considered a good goddess i suppose you'd say um but then she betrayed him and there was a coup and a lot of the other dog elves um, they became the dark Seldarian instead of, you know, the, the regular Seldarian, which is the everybody. And, and that's in part how the Drow became, became so outcast, right? Because their goddess became outcast and she was a dark elf. She, she was, you know, very dark skinned, etc. And that's how it happened with the rest of them. Uh, and I thought that was really interesting because real life. Right, right, for real. This is actually a good place for me to share like a big rant that I've I've kept mostly inside about Drew Elves for like <laughs> my And I say mostly because I'm sure that I've ranted about this before. Probably to care. Yes. Right? But please do. <laughs> so here's my thing about the Drew. Re- like story justification notwithstanding, ultimately, right? Uh the Drew are a humanoid race. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, that are one of the only dark-skinned representations, like evidently, like canonically dark-skinned representations of a race in the D and D mythology, mm-hmm. um, that are automatically seen as evil, forced to live in the fringes, cannot live in the light. Um, there's a whole reason why so the reason why they're kind of changing how people deal with races now is because people have in dungeons and dragons specifically that is is because a lot of people were like so wait a second there are people who look like dragons that's fine there are like um people who are descended from like merfolk and stuff and they get to choose whether they're good or evil all that stuff right there are bird people and cat people they're furries and and featheries i guess yeah, and, and and basically almost all of them get to choose whether they're good or evil. That's all their choice, right? And then there are and there are a multitude of races that are kind of coded as like these barbaric savages. Mm-hmm. Um and we mostly give it a pass because at the very least they do not look human, right? So like lizard folk, they like eat people, that's fine. Nobody's a lizard. Um, but then the, there are humans, gnomes, uh, dwarfs, elves. And I mean, I don't want to be like reductive about it, but when we imagine them in high fantasy, we don't imagine people of color. Yeah. And then we're told that there is this one group of people 
we're going to code them black. We're going to make their skin dark. But we're also going to make them absolutely evil all the time, always, forever. Yeah, and I think I think one of the things to note about the drow, just to just to give you fuel for your rant, is that one of the characteristics of the drow that while they're considered evil is because there is constant infighting. Oh gods! <laughs> I mean, it's, and, and and just and when you pair that with when you pair that with the the kind of high fantasy imagination of the high elves as these incredibly fair, like super elegant. Um, ethereal magic wielding like um, connected with all things kind of uh, description or depiction of that class of that race Um, and the parallel to that I mean if I'm to be frank is black people right like literal people who are of black skin Mm -hmm. (laughs) who are forced to like live in tunnels and fight for food um, it's. I wonder, and this is something that I wanted to mention earlier, because um, it's also super interesting that even in even the imagination of the elf as a as a creature that brought sickness and and death, um, they were always imagined as looking distinctly human. Yeah, yeah, that is. And, and I'm kind of borrowing your question from um, last episode, Chris. What's the fear here? Yeah, and I was actually thinking about that question too, where I think for a lot of folklore, it's like, what's the fear? But I think another way to say that too is like, wh- what purpose does this serve? Correct. Is it fear? Is it, you know, whatever? Yeah. But and what's interesting is when the elf was first kind of imagined as this kind of uh, negative woman, it was also white. It was also a white human-looking creature, right. <laughs> right? That people imagined would bring sickness and death. And I'm, I'm sure that they mean like white as in like paper white, but all the same, that can't be shaken from my head. Um, oh, and then also, as just to, like in terms of the identity, like there is, we haven't touched on this yet, but there is also a, a large part of like elf lore that is the changeling which is yes. switching a human child for an elf child. So in that sense, like the child would need to look like the family's, I mean, theoretically like the family's child for the charm to work. Yeah. Um, but just how that's transformed into, well, we'll still keep them fair. We'll still keep them, uh, we'll still c- kind of keep that portrayal or that imagination of them as these kind of um, ethereal beings from another plane. But let's just, uh, let's just kind of whitewash it basically right. <laughs> but also do the work in fantasy of creating another creature that is evidently dark natured um in every sense of the word that we can imagine and that's automatically bad i don't know i have which is weird like in dungeons and dragons the so elf... if i can sorry if I, I want to interrupt here with something that again is potentially fuel for you right mm-hmm. um so in the novels, and and full disclosure, Ellen Cunningham's novels are not the only ones I read, okay, from the Forgotten Realms. Right. Gotcha. But uh, in general, right, in, in the novels, uh, so the, the golden elves are usually the rich elves, and they are characterized as super snooty and very, like, racist, and they believe that the other elves are beneath them. And the moon elves 
are the ones who are still very open to others. They're the ones most likely to have half elven children, for example, and right. things like that. And then you have, you know, kind of all the other elves. And I always thought that was really interesting because it's clearly like rich white people, middle class white people, <laughs> and then everybody else. That's how, even as a child, that's how I understood the parallel to be. That makes sense, yeah. Because the, if you know, the regular moon elves are the ones that are more open and more accepting to other cultures and other peoples. And if you find a party of multiple races and there is an elf, the chances are if it's not one of the forest elves, then it's likely to be a moon elf and or, or, or half elf. And I always found that to be so so interesting because the writers clearly recognized that there's this class of people that hold themselves even above regular white people oh for sure <laughs> right and then um and then they're, they're the moon elves and even the moon elves who are seen to be the more accepting they have their own prejudices against say half elves right who are the biracial the equivalent of biracial kids right and what what are they half with is it like multiple different usually half yeah so it's usually half half elf half human half human okay and do they have like what are their general feelings towards human um i think that the the idea is that the moon elves are more accepting but they are but they still elves in general still consider humans beneath them for the most part unless you have in some way proven yourselves to be above average as a human being yes it's kind of like that internalized racism where like we'll accept the humans because they're a model minority yeah actually that's a good example (laughs) i was um (laughs) i was reading way down my rabbit hole um this like blog that was like very clearly old because it was one of those like it had all the like animation in the wallpaper. Okay. You know I mean? And it was. I totally know what you mean. I had an HTML site that did that for Sailor Moon. Oh <laughs> I knew the website you're talking. Well, the kind of website you're talking about. Keep going. Um, and it was basically about. I mean, it was very clearly like fan fiction esque of, like, what are my chances of getting laid by an elf. Um, Wait, what? Lol. Wait, what? Lol. <laughs> Wait, what? I need to see this website. Yeah, okay, I, <laughs> I'll send it to you. This is <laughs> this is almost as important as the werewolf baby from last episode. You know, it just... Why are you like this? <laughs> so anyway, so I'm reading that and it's it's talking about sort of how elves have this, like, a far less sex drive than um humans and they generally think of of humans as very frivolous and like their their needs for bodily function to be very yeah just I guess frivolous um and I didn't know because of I think the type of website this was and the fact that like I was reading some dude from 2002 being like um I didn't know if if that was like canonical or if that was um like so relationship was between because there is another thing we haven't touched on is like there is also the branch of elves that's the scandinavian branch which is basically just like 
white pretty women luring men into the woods to like seduce them and potentially kill them which I do think kind of veers more into like the villa or fairy like that language is so good but go ahead so I can like again (laughs) the only elf I can talk about is the forgotten realm now (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I I think that that's somewhat true uh and even in in the forgotten realms the elves are a long-lived race right i think that that is something that is common across most versions of elf even in uh, like modern day fantasy whether it's contemporary urban fantasy is that the elven race is long-lived and part of and i think that this is kind of i always thought this was interesting because they're a lot like vampires <laughs> in that way in that they they are so long lived that they look down on humans and they have this like different perspective of the world and humans are such dirty creatures uh except you know unlike vampires obviously they aren't trying to drink your blood or they aren't trying to um and well again the vampires i think a lot more sexualized in that way in that they are these carnal creatures because of that blood need and that that uh, physical contact need but the elves aren't quite like that. And I, I I, will say that it's been a while since I've read those books. So I couldn't give you a really solid um, say that, yes, the elves are very or not very sexual. But I do think that relative to humans, I can't they... believe about this. Hey, man, elf sex is, is its yes. own, like... <laughs> Elf sex is its own whole fan fiction category, okay? Let's not even front. Um... That's, that's going to be the clip for the ads for this episode. <laughs> um... but, but I will say that it is a... It is, it is, they are, they are like considered, I guess, less carnal creatures than the human. Okay. So not necessarily that they so I... don't desire they don't desire that but they have different they look for and want different things than the human because they have these longer lives yeah and that's actually one of the thing that i wanted to kind of comment on because uh because men are so strange um i can <laughs> i can quote unquote understand why <laughs> why elves uh, why elves are sexualized in the ways that they are. And that yeah, they... yeah, unattainable. It, unattainable yeah, is always that's... sexualized, 100%. Yeah, and, and then also this kind of perception um, of um, high fantasy elves as being um, pure and chaste, yeah? That yeah. idea that their um, connection with magic or their connection with nature makes them um, somehow purer than us. And therefore, our ability to attain them says something about ourselves. Men are strange. And so, so nice, so interesting that you see that that they are associated with like this purity, etc. When you look at the the silly unsilly comparison, and you look at things like the dark and the light fake court, the light fake court is often portrayed that way, and the dark fake court is is portrayed like sexual deviance, <laughs> commonly. Oh, oh yeah, 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 um, and and. There's a thought there about that. Just yeah. because and, just, and just, just so that just so that we're clear, I'm not I'm obviously not talking about in all iterations of fantasy yeah. because I've certainly read versions where, you know, every every the world that each writer builds is different. Sure. Uh, but even in the ones where the light fae are 
you know stricter in certain ways or or do have these these darker desires they always portray themselves you know to to humans in a certain way whereas the dark don't and the dark are happy to you know be their degenerate selves yeah and chris was talking about this the idea of like the beautiful elf in the woods that lure men into the uh into the dark to like either have their way with them or just to just destroy them uh in the original elf myth there is or at least to some degree there has been some connection with like um seduction as the means that elves use to um to abduct or to destroy mankind humankind um well it makes it makes sense with the disease angle yeah but it, i mean it also it makes sense or it could make sense in terms of like how we imagine um elves in like modern day fantasy as being connected to uh the idea of nature and protecting and preserving nature that right. mm-hmm. um that human beings are even at their best, destructive creatures. Right. <laughs> and here are these uh, these other um, entities that have a connection to the space, to the earth that they're trying to preserve. And the only tool that they can come up with is just uh, killing as much of us as possible so that we can stop destroying shit. Um, so they lure us into the forest and like make sure that we can't do any more damage by whatever means necessary. Um, and I think from that, we have the because even the idea of the wood elf in and i know this is basically just a dnd episode at this point i'm sorry chris <laughs> but um like even the idea of the wood elf in dungeons and dragons is kind of like really strongly connected to the idea of uh someone who has this strong connection to the earth and all the uh, to to the land and all the creatures um from it um whose only kind of purpose or uh duty is to protect that life hmm. by any means necessary so very often wood elves look down on humans but for a vastly different reason they just think that we will come in and wreck shit and they will uh, they will put an and they're not at all wrong and they will put an arrow between our eyes before we get the chance which i completely understand right. uh, <laughs> um and i think what is interesting is that just as the just as our relationship with the elf as a creature has changed, um, its purpose kind of changes as well. Like we no longer quote unquote need or imagine ourselves needing the helper elf. Like the helper elf um, was a very early industrialized, a really early industrialization perception of the elf. Yes, totally agree. And I do on that note want to talk a little bit more about like the purpose and the purpose of like the changeling specifically. Um, but I will say I read a study um, and I feel like I should probably should have looked at my notes before just opening my mouth. But there, there was a study <laughs> about um, like a, a recent, I mean, not recent, recent, it was like 2006 survey of like nor like Scandinavian and Norse people about their belief in elves and a very large percentage of of people were unwilling to say that they like flat out say no I do not believe in this I do not believe in the idea oh, wow. of like a little mischievous person like moving my shoes around at night or you know whatever it is um 
which I just thought was interesting because I think, and and the same thing happened the in the same study they asked about like ghosts and it was similar and I I honestly feel like that would probably be true of, in general of the general population like if you had How about ghosts you mean or else um I think just. I think you could probably do it category by category. I mean, I think if you said, do you think werewolves or yeah, like werewolves or vampires exist, most people would say no, but things that are kind of more in that vein of ghosts or guardian angels or, you know, whatever. Um, And, you know, when you're thinking of elves as like in that kind of little helper vein of like, you know, something was going to fall and then it, it didn't by good, good luck, you know, maybe we would say chance or good luck or, you know, something like that. I, I, I think that you're right. And, and I think that the difference is that the creatures like elves and whatnot are otherworldly or non-human creatures, whereas mm-hmm. creatures like werewolves or vampires are distinctly humans who have become other mm-hmm. for the most part. And I think that that is where the difference kind of lies is that we might be willing, we as in humanity or people, right, might be willing to believe that there is this creature that we've yet to discover or there is this supernatural, you know, or interdimensional being that causes mischief that we've known about through the generations, right? Like my great-great-grandmother knew that this creature existed, Um and has interacted with it or something versus this is a a modern human being whose skin rips apart into a werewolf. Um, I think that that is something that people are more willing to see or admit that they believe in. Right. Because it's so much, it's, it's so much more, it's so much more superstition than something like a werewolf or vampire, I guess. Right. And like in the same vein that like I, I genuinely knock on wood anytime I need to knock on wood. You know, I mean, there's things like that that like I I just think the way that we talk about things have, has changed a little bit. I also I just found the survey. It was um, in it was in 1998 in Iceland. Fifty four point four percent of Icelanders said they believed in the existence of elves. This is like 20. That's not. That's that's not an insignificant number at all. Right. So I just uh, yeah. and I and do I you believe in elves? Do I believe in elves? Yeah. Uh I <laughs> I wouldn't say that's a long I believe quote. in elves. I would I would say that I would not rule out like if if it came out that like there were elves in the woods when I was hiking. Like, I don't think I would be completely gobsmacked, but do I, like, 100% believe in elves and, like, fairies and that kind of stuff? Probably not. I think it's more like a, almost like a hope. You know, I think a lot of the, a lot of, like, folklore in that kind of comes from this sense of, like, you know, especially if we're thinking about things like witchcraft and things like that. Like, there is, there is that, like, element of, I want there to be more than just this. Hmm. What about you, Kay? Do I believe in like like Shumika Kibla elves, or do I believe Any in like kind of in like in like beautiful, handsome, long, flowing? No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I I'm gonna be especially since Chris, you wanted to talk about the changeling. I could totally imagine changelings being real because okay. I, I don't think it's. But here's the thing: I don't think it's just like 
a human toddler getting stolen and swapped with a fairy or an elf. I think I think it happens to people regardless of age. I think that there are some and this I mean this is gonna sound absolutely ridiculous, but it's not unfathomable to me. Like there are some people in your life that just kind of suddenly and inexplicably stop being themselves. If someone told me, yeah, someone just like there's a that that person is like that's just a fairy pretending to be that person i'd be like that makes a lot more sense than what is actually happening so well, that goes back to the purpose though of like i think a lot of what we're talking about is not like do you believe in like a physical manifestation of a tiny helper running through the woods i think like the the purpose that they serve is explanations for you know your best friend going totally rogue or explanations for you know, why just certain things happen the way that they did. And and sometimes we call it fate and sometimes we call it luck and sometimes we call it, you know, depending on who you are, God or whatever. And I think sometimes you call it fairies or, you know, whatever that is. Okay. And in that, in that sense, I, I understand. Cause like, I was definitely like, I do not believe in, in a small mischievous. You're like, what have I gotten? Like, <laughs> and then Brendan, and then Brendan started talking about pod people. And I was like, Mm-mm, this is, <laughs> no, did but... I really marry this guy? What the? <laughs> no, but Chris is absolutely right. And it's it, the reason why I've like, and I'm sure this is the same for the both of you all that, that I'm so interested in um, folklore is there's, for lack of a better way of saying it, there's a kind of explanation for, or the tools to explain, the tools to rationalize the world that we find ourselves in. We've lost some of those tools because Mm -hmm. of our connection or disconnection to folklore. And also because, and this this becomes even more true because of uh, how globalization has affected um, how we communicate about folklore in um, different parts of the world. In Trinidad and Tobago, as far as I'm aware, the closest that we have to an elf, actually, this is fantastic. The closest thing that we have to an elf is a buck, right? Have I ever told you about the buck, Chris? No, I don't think so. Um, so there's this um, mythological creature. The buck is most like a seta, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a kind of combination of things. Like I'm, I'm comparing it to like the idea of like a helper elf, right? Sure. So in the English in Caribbean, we have the this idea of a a mythological creature that, um, that like mysteriously ends up on your property, and if you feed it regularly, it will help you and bring you and your family good luck. But you have to feed it at the exact same time, every single day, or else that one day that you stop your life will never be the same. And that's not in a good way. What do you yeah, mean? it will. So so the examples are things like, as soon as you stop feeding it, but you also have to feed it meat, right? Like it's strictly carnivorous, isn't it? Yeah, it's a strictly carnivorous. Yes. Yeah, so it is terrifying. I love the idea of like a tiny little carnivorous stranger. <laughs> it's a lot like, do you remember? Do you remember gremlins? Oh, yeah, totally. I can totally see that in, like, the goblin, like... Yeah. So, like, the buck is... It looks kind of like a half person, half goat, like a satyr does. At least that's the... At least that's what I'm familiar with. Brendan, you could could say if if you know... Yeah, that's about the same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
but <laughs> but so you feed it meat strictly meat and whatever you feed it today you need to feed it exactly like brendan said every single day you usually it's the same thing i think that there are definitely some versions where as long as you feed it meat it doesn't matter like if it's the same kind of meat or what it is mm-hmm. but the when you stop like brendan said the kinds of things that happen are like final destination things yeah, like like you know, like freak, seriously die. Yeah, like freak accident things, like um, and not just not not necessarily just freak accident death things, but like your just Murphy's law for anything that you're trying to do. That freak. one one tiny thing that can go wrong that spirals. Um, and personally, the book I think is the thing that I I think is the most terrifying out of almost all of our uh all of our folklore because it can go wrong it's like a it's a gift gone wrong right yeah but i mean it's the same i'm 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 vaguely remembering that there's a story just like that with like elf elves um helping somebody out but then the moment that they don't was it that yeah, and that yes, 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 yes. That is it. A little, yeah. Like I don't know, I don't know if Rumpelstiltskin like specifically is if he's considered an elf. But yeah, like I don't think that this is like I think that there are more examples, or at least there it, there ha, there is an example somewhere uh, of a creature of this kind who's like, um, I will help you, and I'll, I I I am that helper elf for you. But only if you give me what I ask for, um, which I mean is yeah. obviously very terrifying. But <laughs> being able to—I don't know. This is going to sound absolutely ruthless, but being able to communicate the virtue of gratitude mm-hmm. with that kind of ferocity, I think, might be important in today's age. Well, like oh, you first, Chris. So in like a way less kind of extreme way, there is, I don't know if this is elsewhere, but in the US there is Elf on a Shelf, which is... I'll be honest, I don't know what that is. So, I know what it is, and I think it's I know, creepy. I know it's so creepy. It's so creepy. Is what it is. Um, elf on a Shelf is, I think it was a book first, and it's like, a, it's a little doll that's an elf, and parents put it, in different places in the house all through December leading up to Christmas. And it's essentially like, it's basically like Santa's spy and he is, or she is there to see if um, the kids are being good. So it's, you know, so creepy. Um, But in that kind of same way where there is this like, like transaction or exchange or, you know, whatever you want to call it of like, you've made a promise. And if you don't keep it, punishment will happen and in this case it's like coal or no presents hmm that so, now, now elf on a shelf sounds cool now i want one. Oh my god no <laughs> absolutely effing not um so i've heard of and, and some dad right now i really could you get me one for christmas chris i'd really love it if that's what you want and if yeah. you won't kill me <laughs> 
It's either that or the werewolf baby. I, I'm making a list based on all of. Not the elf on the shelf is cheaper. Get that. Um, <laughs> I think that like here is bringing like you know like well-read opinions, and Brendan's bringing like thoughts of globalization, and I'm talking about elf on the shelf and like. <laughs> Honestly, the elf on a shelf is easily my favorite part of this episode so far. Oh, why do you like this? Um, (laughs) I was going to say that I've certainly read a lot of contemporary fantasy fiction. Well, obviously fiction because fantasy. But I've read quite a bit where there are, like you mentioned, elves. Like the helper house elves who, if you disrespect them or if you don't leave an offering, they, they do mischief instead. Sure. And I've also seen that as applies to brownies, but I've also heard brownies called house elves, which again are not the same as like the the, the high elf kind of fantasy idea. So like brownies, right. um, I want to say it's I want to say I read it in Laurel K Hamilton's books, the the Merry Gentry books, which themselves are are interesting because I started reading them thinking it was kind of standard. <laughs> fantasy turns out it's like uh some like uh reverse harem paranormal romance it's really oh, wow. weird yeah yeah i mean they're really good books though i think the world building in those books are fantastic and um in it the a a brownie gone bad is i think a goblin okay so they're the same creature but whether or not they um, do horrible things is what determines whether they're a brownie or, this or just not. This occurred to me is Labyrinth with David Bowie. Is that an elf? Is he an elf? I think he is. Yeah, yeah I think I he's think supposed he's to be. Okay. Huh. But that, that's definitely a, I think, a characteristic of the house elf <laughs> is that they are still creatures to be respected and. Right. Um, you know, be grateful for their presence, whatever that might do or be. I just looked mm. it up, goblin. Wait, what? Oh, um, he's a goblin, not an elf. Yeah. Oh, blow me down. But again, I do think that there there is like an interchangeability in the language of fairy, elf, goblin. Yeah, I agree. I think elf more so, like I, I wouldn't necessarily say like, I, I think elf fits into all of those categories where I don't necessarily think like I wouldn't confuse a goblin with a fairy. Yeah, I mean, so again, coming back to the contemporary fantasy because that's all I know. <laughs> Lisa Sharon, I want to say, is the author. She's got a series, the SPI Files. I think it's I think it's the SPI Files. Um, don't quote me. Google it yourself. <laughs> But she's got elves and goblins, and her goblins are basically moon elves with, like, slightly longer canines. They don't drink blood or anything, but they but they look a lot like elves with the exception of, you know, a few things like their skin tones might be different. They're more gray as opposed to elves, which are more, like, golden uh, they also have these kind of pointy ears. They're from the same realm. So the idea in, in her novels is that the elves and whatnot are in this sort of parallel universe or dimension. Um, and you can cross over into Earth and then cross back. Uh, and some of those folks colonize Earth. Um 
but it's all under the radar, right? Because that's what makes these things interesting, I guess, is that it's under the radar. Like nobody, no average human doesn't know that there are colonies of elves and goblins, um, but they exist. And so, yeah, the go- but the goblins and the elves look almost the same with those few exceptions. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, so I just um, feel like that's another example of, of how we've been evolving the words that we use to right. describe different categories of elf or fairy. Right. Okay, so here's my here's my question. I think to kind of close off because last last episode we asked everybody what kind of wear creature they thought they'd be. <laughs> <laughs> I want to end this episode by asking folks, what Chris, what kind of elf do you think you'd be? I would be a changeling, which we didn't talk about, but I I would 100 percent be like I was switched at birth. I am actually an elf child. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> as in you think tell me why tell me why i changed i just think in general like again going back to like the purpose of it i think you know the idea behind changeling was to sort of explain a variety of things from just like simple like my child's acting weird to mental illness or disease or Uh, autism i've heard a lot that mm -hmm. they they refer to changeling like autistic children as changelings yeah um, and I think on the other side of that, thinking about people who could, there is, this is another rabbit hole of mine, like there are folks on the internet slash in the world that like think of themselves as changelings. And I think that it's just kind of a nice metaphor for. Oh, so you think it's a positive thing then? Um, I think it's a way to say I don't fit in, but, but I fit in yeah. somewhere. Yeah, I I am leading to to what that idea of what changelings represent as well, at least modern changeling, because like you said, certainly in the past, the changeling represented a child who was off in some way, according mm-hmm. to the, the norms of the time. But nowadays, I agree that it's... Um, and, and so much of that, I think, is how we have romanticized the changeling, like uh, Holly Black's novels, Tithe. Oh, uh-huh. uh, th- that main character is a changeling, and there are countless other novels written by other folks oh. where the main character is a changeling, and they discover. So they they always felt like they f- they didn't fit in, and they were always kind of an outcast. But when they discover their true heritage, they find their people. Right, that's you know, super they, cool. They find you should that in the description for folks. Uh, I, what's the tithe? Yeah, there's a oh. lot of versions of that. Like there's a. Um, when I lived in Nevada, there were a lot of, well, not a lot, but there there were a group of folks that felt that way about aliens. Like they were left but they were aliens. aliens. Um, yeah. I'm not sure how to feel. Like it's, it's significantly, it's significantly less cool, it feels like, when people think that they're aliens. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I think just in general, though, it's just this thought of... I, I mean, it's the, you know, almost like the hero's journey type thing of like, yeah, I yeah. Know, finding your place of and I need to take a journey to get there. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, as cool as the changeling sounds now, I think I'm, I think I'm very squarely a helper elf. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's nice. I don't think I've ever, like, that's just kind of how I've always kind of identified myself in relationship to other people. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I actually think that it's super cool for, it could be super cool once like that's something that you actually want 
that's the position that you actually want to have in your life of people that you care about. But to me, it's super cool to be that person that people feel like they can rely on, even when they don't think that they can rely on anybody, even when they don't know that somebody is there. Um, they wake up one morning and realize that Brendan's done all the dishes and has made them something to eat. And then we'll just leave because they need their own time and they need their own space. I like that idea of, and I think that's also kind of what I mean about us losing these tools that we have to um, to create space and create narrative for ourselves in relationship mm-hmm. to other people. Huh. Like we don't, we don't have this is gonna sound like this is one of my big things is that we don't have characters like that that take up space in uh in the narrative of real life anymore like we think of um, i don't know i wanna uh, that's my experience at least i i think that we have those characters but they're not always our protagonist yeah 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 that's that's I, i guess that's what i really mean is that we need to we need to prop back up that yeah. That idea of someone um, wanting to be the support for other people, wanting to be there in a way that we might not even necessarily have words for people being there for us. Yeah. I mean, and I think on that note, I would be, I'm definitely a half elf. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, just so for a few reasons. One is, um, and I, I mean, Chris probably doesn't know this, but Brendan knows that one of my ears is actually literally pointy. Yeah. <laughs> and no, like, like actually there is a literal like peak. Yeah. She does have one elf ear. Yeah. And my other ear is pr- properly round. Good with that. <laughs> What's that? You should have said that like in the beginning. Like, all right, let's get started. That's why we're doing the elf episode. <laughs> Honor my wife. Lol. Um, so I do have like the one pointy ear. <laughs> so it's kind of been a joke growing up that I have one elf ear. So I must obviously just be a half of an elf or half elf. Uh, and the other thing is in the same way that I think changelings represent people who maybe didn't fit in and they have kind of, they, they go on this journey to find their own people. I think that I... I've always felt like I kind of straddled two worlds, which is what the half-elf is. And I think I think it's different to if we were to think of the half-elf as a representation of biracial people. But because I'm, I'm not, uh, my lived experience is not as a biracial child. Uh, so, but I, I did grow up with the experience of my you know i i lived i grew up here in trinidad for the most part but i spent a lot of time in the us visiting my family and i was almost always too foreign to be trinidadian and too trinidadian to be foreign um and that is something i know that a lot of people especially those who who go away for school mm-hmm. so i also that I did all of my tertiary education Mm. I did in the US through scholarships and whatnot and it it comes back to the same thing you know the the ease of code Mm. switching so Brendan could tell you that I I don't speak like this when I'm talking to my to to other Trinidadian people and it's natural like I don't know I don't think I know anymore how to turn that off Uh, (laughs) I would have to very very consciously choose not to speak in this way 
uh, and it's just like, you know, my public speaking thing just goes ping, it comes on. And that's just one example, right? So I, I, I code switch uh, without thinking about it now, and it's difficult for me to tune that off. I have a, a fairly like wider experience of what it's like to live outside of Trinidad, but I still very much feel like Trinidad is my home. Um, I, you know, all of these different things, and and it really comes down to that idea of I'm I'm too foreign for home, but I'm I'm too, you know, not foreign for foreign. <laughs> Can I ask one final question as we wrap up? Yes, please. Um, and this is kind of a selfish question because last um, month when we did werewolves, I was already like, I was kind of coming to the table with more knowledge. And so um, I found the process of like looking into elves very interesting and sort of reading through different sources. So I'm curious to hear um, from both of you, like what was the, what was like maybe something interesting or surprising that you learned in either this conversation or in researching elves? Uh, do you want to go first, Kate? Uh I definitely think that the thing I that I discovered newly was that the dark and light was a Norse thing, and not not an Irish thing. I don't I don't quote me on that. I literally <laughs> doing, like free store. But, like- but also like I, I would also say though that I I always because of the books that I read growing up, I've always associated elves with the Irish mythologies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I haven't mm-hmm. actually um I haven't actually associated them much with the the Scandinavian or the Norse mythologies. And aside from the elf on the shelf and like the helper elf stuff which i want to see is eastern european in origin um that that's kind of all i know and and because what i grew up reading was fantasy high fantasy contemporary fantasy i have a much deeper connection to the um the high fantasy tolkien-esque or forgotten realms type elf and that's yeah, so so that for me that was new. Like I, I I have I have very rarely spent a lot of time talking about elves that weren't Forgotten Realms esque. Awesome. Yeah, for me, I think the thing that was most surprising was just the idea of elves as like connected with, uh, with sickness and and death in, um, in its depiction in like Norse mythology. I thought that was super interesting. I never imagined the elf as being anything other as as. I mean, not necessarily nothing other than a benevolent force, but my imagination of the elf has always been kind of predominantly as a benevolent force. And the idea that it started off as not that and then transformed into all of the things that we know now, I think is super interesting. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the fluidity was very interesting for me to read. Um, I agree with Kier, the sort of Norse connection, which I'd never thought of. Specifically, we didn't really go into this, but how it ties into like, viking mythology mm-hmm. um and then just two other things i thought were really interesting one was um when we you know because my connection did come more from the christmas elf side of things um i was reminded in my research that um in twas the night before christmas um yeah. is is described as a jolly old elf um oh yeah and then later it's kind of that's forgotten about and you know <laughs> I actually I totally forgot that as well <laughs> yeah which you like totally would not think um and then so here's my here's my final fun fact about elves mm-hmm. um the German word for nightmare it, I'm gonna say this so wrong so I apologize to German speakers is 
Alpadruken, which means elf pressure, which goes back to this idea of elves causing sickness and elves like sitting on your chest. Oh, wow. That's super cool. Yeah. Also super terrifying. Hello. (laughs) I don't know. I'm going to stick with cool. (laughs) So, I mean, uh, if you're listening to this at night, uh, (laughs) listeners, (laughs) I hope that you have a good night's sleep with no Alpdrukens. Um, If you're listening to this at night, get a cat. (laughs) That is also, yeah, yeah. Um, Cats. (laughs) Cats are good for most things. Um, especially nightmares. Uh, uh, if you have any kind of closing thoughts, Kira, before we wrap up. Honestly, now that I've mentioned cats, all I'm thinking about is let's do our <laughs> next episode on that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Mythology of cats. Oh, just like oh, I mean, we could do one okay. just kind of specifically on cats. Yeah, that like cats in mythology is actually yeah, super rich. But but then but, but before like, we before we end up on a whole new tangent. <laughs> Um, closing thoughts about elves. I I think it's really incredible that we have these really two distinct versions of elves and what they are, like the like the Keebler slash cobbler, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> house uh, house helper shoemaker type elf and the kind of tall, beautiful, enchanting type. And I I really I, I think I would like to maybe one day we can revisit this topic and maybe dig a little deeper into those origins and how they kind of evolved into what they are today. Because I think that is something we didn't quite get into, but I'd be really interested to know more about that and learn more about that. Okay. And I think we could probably throw some links up to um, just some of our sources as well. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. Just for if other folks want to do some more reading, because I agree, there's. I feel like we just barely scratched the surface of... I mean, who knew? Who knew? <laughs> and I'm sure that there's some some, some stuff um, that in some spaces we still haven't even um, like found or noticed yet. So that's going to be really exciting. And that's also the thing about folklore too, is that there's always room to discover. And with that, um, hope that you enjoyed this month's episode. Uh, if you have any thoughts, just like last time, if you have any thoughts about anything that you'd like to hear us talk about, especially if it's like um, a folklore from your own space that you think that many people don't know about or don't get a chance to talk about, please um, feel free to um, share your thoughts with us. I'm going to leave our social media links in the description. Um, and I hope that you'll enjoy it. Blessings, compassion, peace, and love. Bye. Bye.